Hey guys, and happy Monday. I am super pumped to be sharing this episode with Zach with all of you guys. Um, He's so awesome. And in, in talking with him, it's funny how like, I feel like we've had very similar experiences and lived kind of parallel lives in terms of our um, studies and, you know, um, first jobs out of college and then suffering or anxiety sufferings and, and whatnot. And, um, he definitely also just gave me a lot of tools that will help further destigmatize mental health, like, um, you know, referring to mental health as brain health and things like that. So I'm super pumped to have you all listen and, um, yeah, just hear a great conversation and I'd love to hear your thoughts afterwards. Um, anyways, before I dive into the episode itself, I did want to kind of do, um, share a little like tangent slash um in doing so kind of plug one of my sponsors Sakara. so I was actually talking with my friend Liz who's been on the podcast a couple times the other day and I was saying how like recently I just feel like I haven't been taking the best care of my body in terms of like what I've been putting in it I've been just getting really lazy and I yeah have just kind of let my um eating habits go to shit <laughs> for lack of a better word and so I'm I'm really excited to begin taking advantage of the Sakara meal programs again because I've been um, using their probiotics and um, metabolism super powder pretty religiously but I really want to like kickstart my weekly you know meal plans and since I just am not a great cook and I really have full faith and trust in Sakara. I'm excited to really invest in that. So, um, again, uh, I know Sakara is like definitely on the pricier side, but I'm a full believer in, you know, spending money on something that's like actually good for you and nutritious. And again, like making an investment in yourself, um, and your health. So what's really awesome is that, that I get to share my discount on Sakara with all of you. So if, you know, you've been feeling kind of like groggy recently or, can relate to any of this at all, you can go to sakara.com and get 20% off your order with the code XOZOE. So that's 20% off your entire order with the code XOZOE. Um, yeah, I really would encourage you all to do it or, you know, especially if you're relating to this little tangent at all. And if you do, um, definitely text me and let me know what meal plan you do. And maybe we can talk about like which foods we like the best and whatnot. We can chat. Um, but yeah, anyways, without further ado, here is Zach. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Solace in the City. Today, I am so excited to finally be here with Zach Westerbeck, who is a speaker and author of the book, You're Not Alone. Welcome, Zach. Thank you, Zoe, for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm so excited. I feel like we connected a while ago, but um, it's cool to you know finally be here remotely recording. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I was like... Uh 
like you know how like in instagram you can see like previous messages it was funny that we had like messaged a few times back and forth just about your podcast and the work that i was doing so it's it's good to finally like you know connect the dots and make it happen definitely so why don't you just go ahead and tell me a little bit about yourself where are you from how old are you where'd you go to school what's your story Cool. Yeah. Um, so the the background on me, just quickly for everybody listening, is that I'm a I'm a mental health advocate first and foremost. I'm a professional speaker. I'm a college success coach, and then I'm the author of the book "You're Not Alone," which is a mental health guide for 18 to 24 year olds to overcome anxiety and depression. And there's a there's a story with that, uh, and I can give you the the, the short of the long version of, of how I got into this line of work. Um, but I was originally born in Indianapolis, Indiana, and then just through various life events, ended up down in Raleigh, and then now I'm out in uh, Orange County, California, uh, where I'm where I'm based. And normally, when I was in person speaking, I was traveling uh, a lot, and now it's it's all virtual, like you were saying before we jumped mm-hmm. on here. So it's funny. It's like. I, where we're talking right now is where I give speeches, you know, so it's different world. And then what was the other question? Oh, just how old you are and uh, where'd you go to school? I, you know, wonder I forgot that one. Because, <laughs> uh, I'm 29, but I'm getting very close to turning 30. I turned 30 July 5th of this year. So. Oh, okay. That's not that. That's not that close. What's that? Yeah. Well, a couple more months, a couple yeah. more months, but I've uh, been very nostalgic lately. Just. Remember in the twenties, gonna hit the big three zero. So, you know, you can't you can't stop from getting older. But uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely excited. Awesome. So, kind of like let's go back um, to whenever you did first start experiencing your battles with mental health. Like, were you was it like when you were very young, or did it you know kind of kick off later in life? So yeah, say. great question. Um, for me. Um, basically what happened was I I attended Purdue university when I was, uh, when I was going to school and I, when I graduated, I moved from Indianapolis, Indiana, down to Raleigh, North Carolina to start my first job working for the technology company, Cisco systems. Mm -hmm. And when I got down there, I was going to be in this early career program. It was going to be just this really awesome transition into the real world. And everything was great for about the first 10 months. And then I distinctly remember kind of what felt like out of nowhere and hindsight being 2020. I'll talk about that here in a second, but seemingly out of nowhere, it felt like things started to change with the way that my brain was functioning. And so all of a sudden I'm waking up with a pounding heart. I've got sweaty palms. I've got a dry mouth. I've got racing thoughts and I have no idea where these symptoms come. I'm 22 years old. I'm a 10 hour drive from home. I just know that I don't like what I'm feeling and I want to change it. And in my mind, my brain was just like a light switch. Something had been flipped on and I just needed to turn it off and my brain would go back to the old Zach brain. That's kind of what I was, the idea that I was clinging to. I'd convinced myself that um, I had socialized, to put it in in a professional way, socialized a little too much at Purdue and now I just, I just needed to reset my brain. And so the way that I was going to do that was uh, by going to work, then going to the gym, sitting in the steam room, sweating out all the toxins in my body, and that was going to reset my brain. I just needed a month. And so that's what I did for 31 days. 
and I did get results, the only challenge is that it wasn't the results that I was looking for. And by the end of the month, not only had the symptoms I told you about get worse and intensify that I now know was severe anxiety, but a second symptom had crept in and that was depression. And I'd never felt depression in my entire life. I had maybe some old belief systems, I would say, about what it meant to be depressed, what it meant to deal with depression. But now in a matter of months, my world's been turned upside down. I'm severely anxious. I'm deeply depressed. I'm in this new city. I don't really know anybody that well. And I haven't been educated on brain health. I use the term brain health instead of mental health as a destigmatizing tool, just because the brain is a tangible organ in the body, like our hearts. Yeah. And we don't call our heart health, soul health. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually a good point. I like that. Yeah. So it's, it's just a little destigmatizing tool. Cause I still hear a lot of people say things like mental health issues and they don't mean to make that come across as stigmatizing, but it, it, it is. So we have to kind of rewrite the narrative and how we talk about it. But, um, Anyways, now in a matter of a couple months, I'm severely anxious, deeply depressed, and I have no idea what's going on. And so I go into full-blown panic mode. And over the course of the next couple of months, I'm doing a couple things really well. Hiding to the outside world what's going on internally and denying to myself how quickly my brain health is deteriorating. And at the peak of my dark period, I was having thoughts of suicide from the moment I woke up until the moment I went to bed. So like this was sitting in corporate meetings, trying to pay attention, act like I'm like, I I care about what's going on, because I want to, but I have this whole separate conversation going on in my head 24 seven, and I couldn't stop it. The harder I tried to stop these thoughts, the worse they became. And so it wasn't until I hit my rock bottom moment, which I talk a little bit more about in the book, and I'm happy to get into it with you here, where I just I seriously considered suicide as my only option. I just, I thought 5, 10, 15, uh, 20 years down the road, and if this is what my life was going to look like, it's not what I signed up for. And so Mm -hmm. I confided in my family, and with their support, they encouraged me to seek help. And in late 2016, I was diagnosed with a chronic brain disorder known as obsessive compulsive disorder, or OCD, where the core symptoms are severe anxiety, deep depression, and thoughts of suicide. And so... I immediately started talk therapy specific to OCD, which is exposure and response prevention. Mm -hmm. And and over the course of the next few years through talk therapy, lifestyle changes and mindset shifts, I was able to get back to a place where I now advocate for others. And that's where you see the work that I'm doing. But to your question, I actually started to experience the onset of these symptoms my freshman year of college, but I was either high or drunk one a good majority and i'm always very honest right i speak with the college students i think it's really important that we we tell our truths and i i was i was self-medicating without realizing it um and so when i look back i can piece together that i had those symptoms um i just wasn't completely aware of what was going on in my brain right i hadn't been educated so that's that's the background yeah it's so interesting i like I feel like in many ways I can relate and I think a lot of people can to that, you know, 22, 23 year old year just being like such a shit show and it's not talked about enough, but I think there's so many like different theories around it. Like I know for astrology, it's like you're, oh my gosh, I'm going to, 
it's like your Saturn return or your Jupiter return or something. And like, realistically, though, I mean, it makes sense with that transitional year being just so difficult for people because you're going, as you said, you know, from college where you have a set routine and then if you have a bad day, you just go out and party or, you know, you go study your brains off. So like you, you, you like do something to put your mind off of it. And then all of a sudden you're sitting working at a desk, like for however many hours a day and you're kind of stuck with your thoughts in that way. Um, and it's funny cause I, I feel like the people don't talk about this enough. Like it's like the blink 182 song. Like no one likes you when you're 23. Like, yeah, <laughs> there should be more public, like publicity around that song. Cause it's, it's very true. And I had a similar experience where I was, um, I started in financial consulting and I was working at a, uh, like we had a five week training program where it was kind of like mini college again, but like for learning financial software and you were like with these young people and like being all social and that was great. And then it all of a sudden was like, okay, now you're in the real world. Like, good luck. So, um, I yeah, so relate to that very parallel world. And I think I imagine people listening to this who are in that, you know, stage or starting remote work, like can probably relate as well. Oh, absolutely. And, um, Joanne Hari, he wrote a book, Lost Connections, which is, there are components in my book that he's, he's taught me a lot just in terms of thinking about our brain health holistically and thinking about what are the factors. Like I think in Western medicine, we love to throw like medication at people. And I have no problem with medication, by the way. Like I definitely think it has a place, but when it comes to healing our brains, we have to think holistically. We have to mm -hmm. think about all of the factors that impact our brain health. And to your point, there are so many good perks to corporate America, but at its core, I think that there are a lot of corporations that have lost the soul of the company and mm -hmm. your number. And to your point, they try their very best to train you in with the early career and the friends and still opportunities to party, but then they throw you in and again, I, I think Cisco is one of the, one of the greatest companies on the face of the planet and they try everything in their power to empower their people. But ultimately I think that we work in these jobs that are a bit soulless. And as human beings, we have a, we, we have a heart, we have a soul and we have a brain and these real connections matter to us and, and feeling like we matter and that the work that we do matters is so important. And, and yeah, when I was 22, I, on top of the onset of the brain disorder or really recognizing that, I also think what really brought it to the forefront was I felt lost mm -hmm. because money wasn't in, and I think corporate can attract, attract talent in because of the money aspect. And I think we all believe that the financial success is going to bring us more and more happiness. And I think what, at least what I discovered is that it, you, your happiness plateaus, you can continue to get raises, but then the work becomes more stressful mm -hmm. and um, it doesn't necessarily lead to, to higher levels of happiness. So I know that was a side tangent, but I loved the point that you just brought up because it's, it's so true. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And I, I also think at least in my experience, you know, when you're, when you're in college, for me, I thought there were like three different avenues. I could go into banking, I could go into consult management consulting or become a doctor. 
Like <laughs> that was like the extent of what I knew both as a product of where I went to college and um, my seeing my parents, you know, there's experience. So I was like, okay, like these are my three options. Definitely not going to be a doctor. Um, not really into the banking idea. Like let's try the middle one. And, and then you enter the real world and you know, you're, if you do just kind of go down that one path, you're kind of seeing tunnel vision where it still feels like the only, the only way out. And then the only way I got exposed to seeing like other people's amazing professions was through this podcast being like, Oh, I could, you know, do a, I don't know, be a graphic artist for LinkedIn or something like that's really random. I couldn't do that, but you know, like there's, there's so much more out there and I, you know, I hope anyone listening who's in college realizes that because it's really hard to get out of that mindset when you're in like a competitive school environment. I completely agree. And it's so funny because I was, I was telling my fiance who I also know, you know, it's so great that you two have a relationship um, is that it has taken me and I'm still, by the way, like it's, and I'm always becoming like, I don't like I, I am and I'm become not like, this person already, like I, I am an advocate and I'm becoming a better advocate every day, but mm-hmm. I'm still shedding that old corporate skin. Like yeah. I am, I still like can wake up in a panic and like have flashbacks to like feeling like I need to be zipping out emails and responding to messages on our uh, Cisco's platform, um, which was Jabber at the time. But regardless, like just feeling like I always like, and also feeling like I have to work a very structured schedule, mm-hmm. eight to six or whatever, you know? Um, and it's like, no, you're a business owner. You run your own thing. You can do things whenever you want. And um, obviously I really, the reason why I got into this was to help people. And my big thing is smashing the the stigma and, and freeing those suffering in silence. So I'm always trying to help other people speak their truth. And that's, that's what my program is all about. They're super interactive and it's a space where people come and they talk about their anxiety. They talk about their depression. They talk about the traumas they've been through in their lives, the loss, whatever they've experienced. Um, and uh, that is what I'm trying to always ground myself in. But it's funny because it takes, it's taken me so long. So it's like, it's, I say that to say you bring up a good point in terms of like, we get very siloed in our yeah. thinking. We get very siloed. Um, and it takes deliberate, it takes becoming deliberately aware of that to work, to think about things in different ways. Agreed. A hundred percent. So kind of going back when you were given your diagnosis of OCD, did you have any um, preconceived notions of the disorder? I mean, just what I'd seen on TV. Mm-hmm. I did not think what I had. It was funny because I was Googling my symptom. Well, eventually, um, so I would like, for me, going to ask for help was not even like, I, that never even occurred to me. Like it didn't even pop up because just, again, we just didn't talk about brain health. I didn't talk yeah. about brain health in college. We didn't talk about it in my family. And it wasn't even like this negative thing, like don't talk about your emotions. Like my parents are very loving and like accepting and open people. We just didn't talk about it. Yeah. Um, and so for me, I'm scrambling in my life to, to reverse whatever's going down. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm scared. I'm flat out 
scared because I literally feel like I'm losing control of my brain and I don't know what to do. So for me, um, it wasn't even an option to go see somebody. And it wasn't literally until I was like, I'm either going to take my own life or I'm going to call my parents. And I called my parents that um, even going to seek help changed, like changed my mentality or started to. And so then the next hurdle was like, okay, what does it mean to live with a chronic brain disorder that's OCD where the only thing that I know about OCD is tapping something 12 times, turning a doorknob, cleaning something meticulously, mm-hmm. counting like things that we've all seen on TV. I, like I can think back to that MTV episode where it was like they had somebody on with OCD, somebody with Tourette's and somebody, um, and I, I, I can't remember the name of it now. It's, it's a complicated name, but um, individuals that pull their hair, can you Oh, it's a long name and it's complicated. Yeah. And there's a lot, ironically a lot of celebrities who have it. I don't know. Why I know that fact. Yeah. Like Zac Efron or something like that. Who has it? Zac Efron? Maybe I'll, I'll look it up. <laughs> well, but keep keep going. Yeah. So that, those were like the old kind of belief systems that I had. And um, like it, it was such a shock because I went to the therapist thinking that I was going to have one conversation with her. And I was going to be, I was going to be healed. And so it was quite, quite a hurdle to overcome leaving the psychologist's office, thankful for a diagnosis that I didn't even know that I could have or would fit into that category. Um, But just feeling very frustrated and upset because there's no surgery, there's no pill, there's no anything that's going to make this disappear, you can get it to a manageable place through talk therapy. That's what she told me, um, which has proven to be true, but I was going to have this for life. And it's something that I still live with to this day. Yeah. Quick side note. Okay. It's trichotillomania. Yeah. Trichotillomania. Yeah. I knew it started with a T. And sorry, Zach Efron, you do not have it. Um, but Megan Fox, Charlize Theron, Justin Timberlake, Katy Perry, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Kate Beckinsale, Kristen Stewart, Olivia Munn, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of celebrities have it and probably related to like the stress and, you know, celebrities tend to be type A people, very in- intense. So um, they're destigmatizing trichotillomania. <laughs> To my best yeah. ability. Yeah, and best it, ability. it falls into that umbrella of um, anxiety disorders too. Yeah, so. it's interesting too because the I also suffered from OCD specifically when I was younger, and all of those, as you mentioned, like those are all comorbid um, disorders. Like I had Tourette's, and then I had OCD and anxiety, and like it's like a when it rains, it pours kind of situation. Um, but I think my OCD symptoms were very much more like, um, what's the word? Stereotypical, so to speak. Like, the more, the, um, I'm trying to give an example. Like, I had this obsessive thought that every other day it was bad. So, like, I I would, like, literally almost make myself sick because I would, I had like a lot of stomach issues. So I remember just assuming like every other day I like would have a good day and then like a bad day for my stomach and then a good day and a bad day. And like, just because I was keep that thought was in my mind, I would like 
bring it to existence and and mm-hmm, yeah but manifesting bad things so um and then i mean it's definitely genetic too thinking you know now hindsight's 2020 seeing it my parents or at least like some and family members um but it is it i think it's important for people to know that it's not just like tapping on the door locking everything cleaning because again it it brings back not that those not that people should be like judged for those things but it um i think it just furthers the stereotype and the stigma around just anxiety disorders in general it does especially with no context Mm -hmm. with no context and that's why you know mtv this is the example i'm pulling like i'm sure that they didn't mean anything by it but it was a little irresponsible because there was no background there was no context provided no no substance no information like okay these people live with an anxiety disorder and they're doing these compulsions Mm -hmm. which is what they're called to relieve their anxiety because underneath that is rooted in a belief system that if they don't something bad will happen or whatever that fear is is going to occur and that was the same thing for me only I was dealing with intrusive thoughts. So things that nobody could see from the outside and my compulsions are internal. You can't see me compulsing. You can't see me trying to reassure myself of certain things to relieve my anxiety. That's ultimately what we're all trying to do with our, with our compulsions, right? With our obsessions and then our compulsions is just to relieve anxiety. Yeah. Um, and people don't see that. So that's, that's, to that point yeah it's it, with no context it, it can really further the stigma absolutely was the show my strange addiction or is that a different show that also is kind of similar i can't remember i just remember watching it again and i was like i was younger and i just remembered thinking to myself like these people are weird yeah and, and now as somebody with an anxiety disorder and somebody who advocates for others they're not weird they're dealing with them again to your point they're dealing with a medical condition it needs to be treated as such yeah that's actually such a good point and i think you know things like that like stick with you especially when like later in life they weirdly come back and you know you and i think you know thinking about that now it's like this is why there's so much stigma around mental health is because of the like the media obviously perpetuates a lot of different things, but when you grow up and that's what you're watching, that's all that's what you think like, Oh, you know, someone with depression is like that emo kid and, you know, Degrassi or like, that's a someone, great example, actually. You, you know, or like, it's just, so we're all product of like what we watched, what we listened to, what we, whatever, when we were growing up. And I think, I'm hoping that, you know, younger generations will have a little bit will will not be conditioned to think the same way like millennials do or did or are trying to, you know, we're we're trying to change. We were the woke generation and now we're not Um, or we're trying to be still. Uh, And what I'll tell you is this things will change as long as people like you people like myself, I was listening to the last person that you had on um, was Jenna, I believe, uh, or Joanne, Joanne. Yeah, that's right. She just came back to me. Joanne, um, 
which was a great episode, by the way. Uh, just people advocating, people talking about it. Just my big thing is just normalizing. Like my, mm -hmm. like one of the core functions of my program, my workshop, highly interactive program. It's it's very engaging. Um, it's all about getting the students talking. But one of the core components is destigmatizing and normalizing what it means to have brain health. So you brought up a great point. Anxiety or depression may be occurring later on in life. That's normal. That's yeah. normal. For some individuals, depression and anxiety will frequent their life throughout the duration for the entirety of their life. And we never need to fear that if we know how to address it. And that starts by understanding that we all sit on a brain health continuum where on one side we live a balanced life and on the other side we're not able to balance and there's there's places in between those two extremes but the really the main understanding there is like it's a medical condition there are also other factors that impact our brain health and ultimately in order to live a balanced life we need to become very comfortable talking about this talking about our emotions talking about our emotional well-being, the significant events, the daily stresses that impact our brain health, and then be comfortable going to get help. It's yeah. really that simple. And I think COVID is a perfect example because if there's anything that takes that spectrum and just kind of like shoves it and throws it in the air, it's like a global pandemic. And I don't know if I remember talking about this with someone like way back probably last March when the beginning of COVID, but for some reason, like when COVID happened, I was probably like the least stressed of my friends and my family members just because I was like, oh, you're nervous about the future? Like, same, like, like welcome to my world. Yeah, I'm being nervous, yeah. <laughs> like, yep. oh, this is stressing you out? Say, like, like, so is my day-to-day -day life, but I'm like, not to, you know, make light of what happens, but I think what was so interesting is like for a lot of people who thought that they were just kind of having a balanced life when something so traumatic happens like this, they didn't really know how to wrap their minds around it and couldn't deal with that uncertainty, which is something that you've not, you and I have been working on and practicing for so long because of our inner work and, you know, understanding brain health. So I think I love that. Yeah, like I, I, I joke about it kind of, but I'm like, the tr truth is, is like nothing prepared me more for this pandemic than having anxiety my entire life. Like, then my own brain and learning to live with uncertainty, and it's mm -hmm. a skill set. And it's so funny that you say that. There's another advocate um, named Daniel Patterson. He's a good friend of mine, and he kind of talked about this too. We've had a conversation, but like we're already in panic mode so yeah. like it's funny because we almost find peace in the chaos to a mm -hmm. certain extent because it's like oh i've already like i've been already anxious about this and like the uncertainty to your point is what everybody has had to face this year um and the, well in the last year i should say and like a big thing is like our brains are programmed really above all else to keep us alive. Like survival is like its main component. Right. And so mm -hmm. when you introduce uncertainty into an environment, our brains are naturally going to respond to that in the way that we've seen with an uptick in anxiety and uptick in depression. Um, but to your point, we've been, I've been cultivating since I was diagnosed in 2016, I've been cultivating 
the skill set of living with uncertainty, the skill set of sitting with anxiety. I'm a huge meditator. I'm big on mindfulness. I meditate every single day. Um, and uh, culturally, too, I think it, not to go down the corporate rabbit hole again, but we've just, I've just noticed that people, because like, Kate still, my fiance still works in the corporate world and then she does fitness on the side. That's her love. Mm-hmm. Nobody has taken their foot off the gas. People are still expecting the same amount of work or more now because it's like, well, where are you going to be? You're in front of your laptop. Yeah. So there's just all this added pressure now that we have in, in our society and it's just tough. It all impacts our brain health and where we're going to sit on the continuum. A hundred percent. Have your conversations with students changed since the onset of COVID or like, have you found, I guess, what do you, what would you normally speak about in lectures? Um, And then has that conversation shifted at all since this pandemic? I think so the, and this is what I always tell the students, the principles remain the same, but how we get there changes. And when I talk about significant factors, you brought up a great example, pandemic that's a significant life event. That's something that is, is impactful to our emotional well-being and where we're gonna sit on the, on the um, brain health continuum. Racial injustice, mm-hmm. that's gonna impact where we sit on the brain health continuum. Uh, isolation, you know, Cigna came out with a study that found that the two most loneliest generations in America today are millennials and Gen Zs. Yeah. Gen Zers, I should say. And, Yet you would think, because on paper we're the most connected, but yet we're the most disconnected. And loneliness is directly tied to the likelihood of an increase in anxiety or depression. So we're talking about isolation a lot in the programs. We're talking about racial injustice. We're talking about the impacts of the pandemic and how fear plays an impact in our brain health. We're talking a lot about media and social media consumption. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? How do we consume these these platforms in a healthy productive manner um and don't leave every engagement more stressed out and more fearful than before yeah that's such a good point yeah then death divorce breakup because those are going to always occur throughout somebody's life but we've certainly seen an uptick in those in the last 12 months so the principles have remained the same in the program but what we drill down into and, and have dialogue about because my program's as much as, as much as it's a workshop that I came prepared to, to give a, a talk on, the students and I build it out together. Like we are constantly riffing off of each other, almost like we are now. Like them, them bringing up a point and us talking about it, going into it. Um, so it's, it's a real true safe space. And I think very, in a lot of ways, therapeutic for them too, because they've never had the opportunity to talk about it in a safe environment. That's amazing. And it, you must honestly learn a lot too. Like the younger generation, and I say that, I mean, I'm 25, but like thinking back, I'm like, wow, college feels like forever ago, but they're, you know, they, I learn a lot from people younger than me, people older than me, and um, must be like a very rewarding experience, I imagine. It is, and you always learn something new, and people share very intimate things, like, you know, one of the presentations I just had, or one of the workshops I just had, um, let's see, today's Thursday, so to uh, Monday, was a student sharing about how one of his best friends uh, died by suicide. And we talk about that and we yeah. have open dialogue about it. We can't shy away from these conversations. I always say they're only uncomfortable 
because we don't talk about it. Yeah. I'm very comfortable talking about suicide. I'm very comfortable talking about depression. I'm very comfortable talking about trauma and abuse because I have thousands of conversations a year. Yeah. I talk about this all the time. Um, and it, it really boils down to, especially as an advocate, I don't always need to have all the answers. In fact, I don't have all the answers, but I'm always willing to lend a loving ear. That's a big thing for me. Lend a loving ear, just listen, and then seek to understand. Genuinely ask questions. Just trying to understand where that person, um, you know, where they come from. What is their background? How did they get to this place? How long have they experienced these symptoms? What were the factors that into that? So just, again, creating that safe. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think vulnerability is the the most important like way to help someone else like basically like by shutting down your armor you're kind of opening up a space for someone to speak to you and be vulnerable with you which i've certainly found my podcast and my you know by talking about all my issues like people definitely feel more comfortable talking to me about like what they is going on in their lives um I guess so my next question is what advice would you give to someone specifically, you know, a man, because unfortunately we live in a world where men are a lot more closed off um, due to toxic masculinity and uh, like blah, blah, blah. So, like going all of this stuff, going back hundreds of years. Um, but what advice would you give to that person who's experiencing any level of anxiety or depression? Like how would you get them to open up? Well, and this I've just seen seems to work a lot with, with men is getting them to first and foremost understand that it's, it's a medical situation. Mm -hmm. Experiencing anxiety, depression, stress, overwhelm, and thoughts of suicide is not a, an attack on your character. Mm -hmm. It's also not an attack on your strength. In fact, it's the exact opposite. To, to show up to the man right now who's masking his anxiety masking his depression, masking the fact that he's been struggling with suicidal thoughts or addiction. That actually takes a lot of energy. Oh yeah. It, it takes a lot of energy. It takes a lot of effort. So therefore you are very strong by default to live with those symptoms and still show up and do the things that you do in your life, whether that's uh, be a brother, a sister, a friend, uh, a companion, a partner, a father, a mother, whatever it is. And so yeah. just first and foremost, understand it's a medical condition. You are strong. It's You're not weak for talking about anxiety or depression. That's the first hurdle um, that you have to overcome. And then the second is just understanding that you never want to lose a loan. I mean, I, I look and I study some of the greatest people that have ever walked the face of this planet and they've accomplished what they've accomplished because they got help. Mm -hmm. And I look at it like this way, this way, mm -hmm. a, a marathon runner with, he could be the best marathon runner on the face of the planet. If he rolled his ankle, sprained it severely, is he going to be able to run a marathon at top speeds and, and absolutely blow competition out of the water when he's dealing with this injury? No, probably not. Yeah. Probably not. He might be able to push through for one race, but if you keep running on that ankle, you're going to eventually it's going to, you're going to wear it out and you're not going to be able to do anything. And then you're going to have a breakdown. And that's what I see. And that's what happened in my own life. 
I waited until it was literally as bad as it could possibly get where the only option was what I told you. It was either I'm taking my life or I'm literally asking somebody out of desperation because I cannot wait any longer. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to get to men and women to say, let's not wait to that point. So it's getting people to see it's a medical condition. It's getting people to understand you should never lose a loan. You should always be comfortable seeking help. Um, and there's a lot of strength and courage in asking for help because it shows that you're committed and dedicated to your well-being. Yeah. And that ultimately you want to success. And so the last thing is getting, and I work with men on this all the time, look at it as an investment. You know, guys are always, a lot of guys in my circle, I never want to generalize, but because obviously women do this too. They're trying to invest in this, that, you know. GameStop. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So I'm like, okay, great. Invest in this. This is you investing in your health so that you can invest in other things and be at your best level. Because when I was extremely, severely anxious and deeply depressed, I couldn't do anything well because I was struggling. Yeah. But now I'm in a place where I'm so happy to be on this podcast. I'm happy to speak. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, talking about my book. I'm pushing a book out. I'm doing all this stuff. And it's like, that's because I'm in a place now where I can. Yeah. So those are, those are kind of the key mindset shifts that I, I really want people to make. Right. Um, it's an investment in yourself. It's a medical yeah. condition and you are strong. I love that. Yeah. All great. Uh, three great ways to like reframe the narrative, I think. Mm-hmm. Hey guys, me super quick. I just wanted to talk about an incredible business that my friend just started called Grief and Groundwork. Grief and Groundwork is a depression, anxiety, grief coaching program. Um, Madison, who helped create my website, fun fact, uses her degree in psychology and 12 years as a social worker, as well as her own grief and mental health journey to coach others. Um, To learn more about it, you can follow her on Instagram at griefandgroundwork, all one word, or visit her website at madisonshea.com. So that's Madison, M-A-D-I-S-O-N-S-H-E-A.com. And then from there, you can fill out an application for a free video consultation um, to begin that work to overcome that grief. So she works with people all over the country um, and... Basically, her mission is like, we live in a society that teaches us to numb and avoid our feelings. So through Grief and Groundwork, Madison walks her clients along in exploring, nurturing, and healing the wounds causing uncomfortable symptoms. Again, Grief and Groundwork on Instagram and madisonshea.com. Yeah, and let me know what you think. Anyways, back to the episode. So I always wrap up with questions that are somewhat unrelated to the podcast, but sometimes they tie back. So the first question is, what's one thing in your life that's happened to you that's made you a stronger person today? I mean, <laughs> def- definitely the diagnosis. It's, uh, it's funny because it's, I, have a, I have another program called Turning Your Pain Into Power. And I think the biggest lesson that I learned is that anybody at any point in time can take the most painful, most challenging thing in their life and turn it into their superpower, turn it into something positive and even better is if you can, you know, first and foremost, take care of yourself. It's like the oxygen mask on an yeah. airplane, put yours on first and get everybody else. Um, but even better when you can take that and then give it out to other people. Yeah. And everybody has a story. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I a hundred percent agree. 
Um, do you believe everything happens for a reason? Ooh, question. Um, I do believe that there is a, there is a spiritual component um, to, to this world and that things happen and move in, in interesting, Steve Jobs said, you can't connect the dots moving forward, but you can connect them looking back. And I believe in that. I think um, that life opens up doors for you, but I also believe in free will. And this is what I'm always pushing everybody to do. Step through that door. If you know it's what you're supposed to do in your heart, take, use your free will and step through that door. Oh, I really like that quote from Steve Jobs. And it's cool that it's from him. Um, well, related to next question, do you have a favorite quote or a mantra that you live by? Um, you're not alone. Yeah, that's that's a good one <laughs> and trust the process trust the process that's another one that I, I i speak a lot to the students about is like trust your process trust your healing process trust your path your journey everything's unfolding for you i like that too next question what do you love most about yourself mm, well i <laughs> i don't normally want to brag about myself but uh it's not bragging it's just uh taking like re recognizing i think that i'm able to take a really honest look at at who my strengths my weaknesses and then i can deploy that in the form of my skill set to bring value to other people and then lead with compassion i think that going i wasn't very compassionate before i went through my diagnosis but after living with anxiety and depression i'm always thinking about like what could the other person be going through and how do I lead with compassion? More than likely, um, a friend of mine used to, used to always say, nothing that is human is alien to me. Meaning if you've been through it and you're a human, I've probably experienced something similar or in its own way, or I know somebody who has. Yeah, that's kind of, I completely, I mean, I think it's such an admirable quality and it, it kind of relates to my favorite quote, which is, Everyone you meet is going through a battle you know nothing about. Be kind always. Written right here. Written oh, right really? here on my laptop. I love that quote. Yep. Yeah, be like... kind always. Right there. <laughs> Great quote. And then last question, which is the name of the podcast, is how do you find solace in the city? And city can be whatever you want it to be. Yeah. Well, in this particular case, I'm in SoCal. Um, <laughs> it can be really loud and, and buzzy out here. And like my fiance and I are going to go, we're going to do a night in um, Joshua Tree and just go camping. Okay. So I'm, yeah, I'm really big on just getting into nature. That's, that's been one of my best forms of medication to call my mind is just get into quiet spaces and, and serene environments. I love that. Well, Zach, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where can everyone follow you, learn about uh, your coaching program, buy your book? Just plug everything. Yes, thank you. Yeah, and sorry, I, I really appreciate you. Uh, we spun this around quickly, so thank you. Yeah. Um, so people can find me at zachwesterbeck.com. Um, that's really where everything is going to be. Like, you can find the book there. You can find my uh, coaching packages. You can find my speaking workshops. You can find all that on the website, and you can reach out to me from the website. Um, if you just want to go to Amazon, you can find the, my book, You're Not Alone, on Amazon. I would recommend you type in You're Not Alone, Zach Westerbeck. <laughs> that seems to be the best way. Uh, so you can find it that way. Um, 
or you can find me really I've got a big presence on Instagram right now and I'm working on building out my presence on YouTube so you can find me at Zach underscore Westerbeck there to just kind of learn a little bit about my personality um, and kind of what I'm about cool well thank you again and bye everyone bye Thank you.